the Mahayana tradition, what that means is the the big vehicle. Um, it's able to take many people along with it out of suffering. It's like a very large boat that can seat many people. And so the people who practice in this tradition, they don't just think of themselves, um, but rather they think of others as well. And so it's sometimes the case that when monks or anyone practices well, um, they can do this for themselves, uh, thinking firstly of themselves to bring uh, themselves out of suffering. But with the Mahayana tradition, it's like everyone helps each other out. In Lumpur Cha's practice and the way that he taught his disciples, um, he taught the path that leads out of suffering. But at the same time, uh, he took many, many other people with him as well. He was able to take many monks and novices, nuns and lay people uh, to go with him out of suffering. So his practice and his teachings were something very special. And so uh, it shows that he had a lot of barami uh, that he had developed um, in order to be able to practice in this way. So the Bodhisattva, uh, Aviloki-teshvara, made the determination to free all beings from the cycle of samsara, to free them all from suffering. And the aspiration was that if there were any beings left in samsara that had not yet been liberated, then he would stay in order to help them out, in order um, to free them from suffering. And so this is the greatest aspiration that's possible to make. Nothing can compare to it. So today is the day that we recollect uh, the Bodhisattva, Avilokiteshvara. And in China, um, there's chanting that goes on throughout the entire day. For us at this monastery last night, we chanted uh, the Paritas, these special chants. And then tonight and tomorrow night, we'll do chanting as well as an offering uh, to the Bodhisattva. So even though we chant for the Bodhisattva, what we gain are these chants as well. And the devas come to listen, and they come to appreciate our chanting. Devas feel very joyful um, and satisfied with this act of praising the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And so many people want a house to be blessed and want a place, the place that they live uh, to be very peaceful and harmonious. So the way to do that is to chant very frequently um, because that chanting gives a brightness to our hearts. It's a heavenly chant, and so heavenly beings like to come and listen to it. So that's what the Dharma does. It brings light into our hearts. It makes them grow more radiant. If we see the Dhamma, then we see the Buddha. And what we gain in seeing the Buddha is 
a constant joy in our hearts. So I was asked the question whether arahants still exist, whether there are really any awakened, fully awakened beings around, uh, because we may see arahants die and their bodies burn just like everyone else's body. There's nothing special to them. They don't uh, levitate. They don't fly away like what Jesus is purported to have done. And so some people don't believe this. They don't believe in arahants, but they do believe that Jesus was able to fly up to heaven. But why is it uh, that there's that belief in that? Um, Because they haven't seen that happen. They don't believe that arahants are around because maybe they don't think they've seen an arahant. So when people haven't actually seen for themselves uh, Jesus die and float up to heaven, why do they believe in that? And so it depends on people's beliefs. And so there are some people who do believe that arahants exist, and some people don't believe that they exist. And there was a time in Nombapong when one of the monks didn't have much faith in Nubucha. He didn't believe that Nubucha really had attained or had many special qualities to him. But this monk, one night he was sitting alone in his hut, and he heard Limpucha's voice speak to him and tell him, don't think like that, it's not good. So this monk was confused and thought, well, maybe it's just some sounds that I'm hearing that are playing tricks on me. So he stuffed his ears, but he still heard Limpucha talking to him, say, don't think like that, it's not good. He even put, covered himself up with the blankets, and still he could hear Limpucha's voice. So Umbracha was uh, torturing him, um, trying to relieve the kilesas that were producing these thoughts. So he had this, uh, the special abilities, and there are many monks who um, do have special knowledge, who have a lot of barami. They've uh, accumulated many spiritual qualities. And there was one time when Nupucha was staying by himself in the forest and many wild dogs came and were circling around him and looked like they were going to attack him. And he saw a nimitta of Lumpurman come and chase these dogs away. And these dogs really left. And we see that the Krubhajans, these great teachers, they do have special qualities to them but those exist in their minds. And even though their hearts are very special, they still have bodies of humans. They don't have the bodies of a deva. And so they burn just like normal bodies do. There's no difference there. But the, um, what's special about them exists in their minds. And this can actually have an effect on their bodies. So we see that many Krubhajans, uh, after they're cremated, their remains turn into relics. 
And some people don't believe this, just as uh, the person who asked this question. So I explained that just don't think too much about it. What's enough is for you to relieve the suffering in your own heart, and that's better than to be doubtful about these things. And just put down the doubts and bring your mind to peace. And that's of far more value. So an important aspect uh, of the Bharamis for us to develop is that of nekama, of relinquishment. So when people take up the five precepts, as many do, they can still have a family and still uh, do many things that lay people are able to. But it's when we increase that to the eight precepts that we start building up our nekama, barami. And some people think uh, that, well, they're confused. Why is it that I keep these precepts, these eight precepts, but my mind isn't peaceful? But really, this sila does bring about peace. It's just that we have to, at times, develop our baramis first. And the peace that we gain, that comes from sila. It comes from the peace of our body and our speech first. And if we don't have virtue, then we won't experience any peace. If we don't have any peace at all, that shows our virtue is lacking. So we see that um, for the monks who come to ordain for this rains retreat, uh, they stay three months, and the power of the sila that they're keeping brings them to peace. And through this time that they spend, some gain faith, and they're able to see the danger in the cycle of sangsara, understand that this body is a trap, it encases our minds. And that's okay while the body is still strong. The mind can exist quite happily in the body. But when it changes and becomes ill, then that's when we really start to suffer. While the body's still in a good, strong state, then we can um, do things with ease. We can eat, we can go around. But as it starts to deteriorate, um, as it does every single day, uh, then it brings us difficulty. It's just that we don't see this deterioration. <coughs> but when we gain knowledge into the real nature of this body, then we'll see that it's something <coughs> that's quite dangerous. And this gives us incentive to practice. It gives us incentive to develop nekama barami, uh, this perfection of relinquishment. So there were some lives, previous lives, of the Buddha where he developed his baramis as a bodhisattva. And as one in particular, he was a naga. And he focused on the sila barami in that life. He existed in the human world and he was tortured uh, greatly. A lot of pain was inflicted upon his body. But he didn't retaliate to the harm that was caused to him. Rather, he focused on caring for his virtue and uh, keeping up this holy life that he was living as a naga. For us Buddhists, um, we 
practice dana very well. We're very good at being charitable and being generous. And that's something that is a natural quality for our hearts, something that we see all over, that people like to give things. But a, an even more difficult level of giving is that of forgiveness, the gift of our forgiveness. That's something that we need to train in and train our minds to develop this. Because it's natural that some people we meet just won't be very good people. Um, some may have very strong defilements, but still we forgive them for their actions. We don't follow our anger, but rather we uh, forgive them and wish that they are free from suffering. Because we see that if we do follow these unwholesome tendencies of our own mind, then that will bring us pain. It will bring us difficulty. And so we should give them up and care for our hearts instead. An important aspect of caring for our minds is uh, recollecting the Buddha, and using this as a foundation for our hearts, and that we pay homage to the Buddha before we offer food on arms round, then we should chant itipiso in our minds. Or when we're traveling, then we constantly recite this chant, the praise of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, go over this um, many, many times. But it's also very important for us to be careful and circumspect while we're driving to make sure that we don't drive too fast and we drive carefully, that we don't get into any accidents. Some people think, well, why is it when we've paid homage to the Buddha um, that the Buddha doesn't come and protect us from car accidents? But it depends on the karma that we've made in the past as well. So the bharamis that we develop, we can offer those to the bodhisattvas. And uh, today being a day that we uh, come and pay homage uh, to the bodhisattva, the being who has much kindness and compassion for all beings in Sangsara. And I actually had an experience with Abhilokiteshvara that many years ago, Ajahn Tong came to the monastery and he brought his niece with him as well. And his niece had... Uh, a problem with her kidneys and she wanted to pass away in the monastery because uh, it was looking like it would be a fatal illness. So there was uh, much suffering um, in her niece's body and mind at that time. Uh, but the Bodhisattva also had much compassion for her and wanted to help her out. So there's one time where I was recollecting the virtues of the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and I looked at Ajahn Tong's niece and saw that the Bodhisattva was right next to her, uh, spreading metta to his niece. I saw this really clearly with my physical eye as well. It wasn't like I was in a state of samadhi, but my mind was quite peaceful. 
And it turned out that Ajahn Tong and her niece had asked for the Bodhisattva's help to care for her, to help cure her of her illness. And she actually overcame that and was able to live 10 years longer. And she passed away already now. Um, but this accident which led to this kidney disease, uh, it looked like it was going to be fat- uh, fatal, but she managed to live for 10 more years. So this shows the great power of the Bodhisattvas, Bharamis. So when we develop Bharami, then we can offer that to the Bodhisattva. Um, and in offering that, we also gain more Bharami ourselves. So we should train ourselves and build up much Bharami and have great respect for the beings who have developed these qualities to a significant degree already. Have respect for the Bodhisattvas. And so we build up much goodness. We build up this internal wealth and we share our external wealth as well and also give our forgiveness. We chant and we meditate. And uh, then we can offer the merits that we have made uh, to the Bodhisattva. And so may you all grow in blessings. <laughs>